Thank you, Phil, for that marvelous introduction. Well, good morning, church. How you guys doing? We've got a fairly packed house this morning. I can't actually see that right now, but uh, when I was out there with you guys, I could, and uh, it's a pretty exciting thing. Well, my name is Dave, in case you didn't know that, and this is my lovely wife, Taylor. Taylor is in charge of our kids' programs here, and today she has the opportunity to speak with me to the adults. So this is going to be a very fun sermon. I think it's going to be filled with lots of information that you guys can eat up, and she's going to tone down the kid stuff, and I'm going to tone it up a little bit, because... I'll try. I will I'm, try. I'm like a big kid at heart. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue our series on God, on the names of God, and last week, uh, Mr. Crowey kicked it off with a great message on Elohim, or the omnipotent creator, a message on God's sovereignty, and it was a, a great, great topic to kick off the series, and this week, we have the chance to follow him and try to follow in those very large footsteps, both figuratively and literally, Mike. And I think this is a great, great series. Uh, we get to discuss the names of God, and it's really cool because everybody has different names, whether that's nicknames or pet names. And a few of my names, uh, some of you know me as Dave, David. My close friends call me Biggs, D-Dog, D-Unit. D-Money, or as my wife calls me, and this one gets us into trouble sometimes, Mr. Sexy Pants. <laughs> I don't know why you guys are laughing at that. <laughs> but this series is so cool because these different names that we have for ourselves and other people have for us can describe different aspects of who we are. And in the same way, the names of God can describe who he is. And not that any one name can give you a full picture of who God is, but as we discuss each of these names in this series, we begin to scratch the surface of who God is. And it's really, really cool. So as we're discussing the names that we wanted to talk about, and we're, we're praying over these names, who wants to talk about what name, and we're going through all these different names of God, our teaching team is trying to figure out who's going to talk on what. And we're going through them, and Taylor's sitting next to me, and she's like nudging me, she's like, David. I'm like, what? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to listen. She's like, David, David, I know what's what we're supposed to do. I'm like, what are you talking about? And she usually preaches in kids, and she'll come into these meetings, the teaching team meetings, to make sure that she can figure out what to talk about in there so it coordinates. So you guys learn about God in here. The kids are learning about a similar concept in there, so when they come and talk to you, you guys can talk and learn and grow together as a family. So she usually comes to help coordinate that, except this time she's like, I think, I think I'm supposed to. And I'm like, what? Spit it out, woman. She's like, I'm sweating. I've got pitters. I'm like, what is going on? This <laughs> is so like, true. She's like, I think I'm supposed to speak. And I'm like, on what? She's like, I am. So she was going to speak on the name of God, I am. She had this put in her heart, and she was feeling it. She was really nervous, and she's like elbowing me. And I'm like, what in the world? So we decided that we would talk on this together. Well, a few weeks go by, and we're driving. After I get off work, we're driving together somewhere, and She's telling me that she thinks God had been speaking to her to change the topic that we were supposed to speak on. And she's telling me what she's wanting to speak on a little bit. And I tell her, you know, it's interesting because a few weeks ago, I felt God started speaking to me and talking to me on that I need to start seeing people the way that God sees people. And I told her the story that I'll share with you guys a little later 
on something that had happened that day, and I was just telling her, I really feel like we need to see people the way God does. And she's like, seriously? Are you freaking kidding me? She's like, you would not believe what I feel like God has been speaking to me. And at that same time, God had told Taylor the topic that we're going to speak about today. And we're talking about that topic and we're like, well, are we allowed to switch? Can we switch? We've already planned this out. And we bring it to the team and we tell them. And uh, Heidi had basically picked up the, the topic we were going to speak on. She's like, you know, I think God is telling me I need to talk on that. So we picked up a new subject and someone else picked up the one we were going to talk on. So I think that uh, God has spoken very clearly on what we are going to be speaking on today. And we are very, very excited about it. Yeah. So like David said, that's a story of how it happened and we're both really excited. And so we were sitting at home and I was thinking of, okay, Elroy, the God who sees, like when is a story for us or a moment that um, we really felt like God was seeing us in that moment. It could be funny. It could be serious. And I thought of a story that's one of my favorite stories that I wanted to share with you guys. Um, So I'm going to take you back to our honeymoon. (laughs) To our honeymoon, it's not real saucy as it sounds. <laughs> so we were um, <laughs> Watuco, Mexico, saucy. 2012. Saucy. Where did that word come from? I don't know. That just kind of came out. So we decided we had been on one trip. We c- we have some pictures. Um, we had been on one trip already, and we loved it, and it was great and fantastic. And I was like, David, we need to go on another trip. And so he said, okay. And we're looking through um, this book, and I saw. I see these crystal clear waterfalls and it was like, oh, come to these beautiful little things. And I was like, okay, I'm coming. And so I remember asking the lady, like, how far away is this place? And she said, oh, just a little bit. If anyone says just a little bit, do not listen to them. Okay. It ended up being two and a half hours away. So the following morning, we get on our bus, we pick some people up, we're driving. um, And then I noticed that our road isn't really a road anymore. It's like a dirt path that you're up, I mean, we're driving, we ended up being outside of Guatemala, not in Guatemala, but pretty close to it, and so we're driving, and it's a dirt path, and if anyone knows anything about me, I get nauseous, like, nobody's business when I'm driving, if you're curving, it's just bad, so I'm, like, downing water, and we're, we were 20 minutes away, it was so close, it's so just, uh, 20 minutes away, and I was like, I can't take it, and so my face was like turning green, so I told the guy, I was like, we gotta stop, and he was like, okay, it was kind of like an action movie, and everyone was just yelling, and so then we stopped, and we stopped outside this village, it was on our left, so we pulled over, I'm running out, David's running behind me, and the guy was like, go here, and I was like, okay, and so I whip open the door, and it's like, how would you describe this toilet? I don't Saying the term toilet is very generous. It was like a little mini hut with a hole in the ground. It was a hole, and there was a toilet seat over the, not a toilet bowl, a seat over the hole. It was pretty nasty. So I'm doing my business, not that kind of business, but like just up chucking. And I was getting sick, and I remember David opening the door, and he was like, are you okay? And then I was gagging because he was gagging, and then I was gagging because of the smell, and it was awful. And so I get out, and I was like, okay, I feel better. And then our tour guy comes up, and he was like, okay, you, f- you follow me. And I was like, oh, what? And now that I'm thinking about it, our whole bus of people was just chilling there. And so In we followed him. dirt road. Yeah. And so we followed him, like, okay, sure, why not? And we're walking on this dirt path, legit with, like, leaves over it, something you see in a movie. And we're walking, and I was like, okay, I wonder where he's taking us. And he looks back, and he says, I'll never forget these words. He goes, this is what we like to call a witch doctor. 
And I was like, who say what? Man, Jesus, you need to be seeing us right now. I was about ready to just speak in tongues. It was like, oh my gosh. It was, was some it was like, I was on. shaking and I was like, God, send down your angels. Okay, so we're walking and it takes us to this massive room with all these mason jars with leaves floating Bones in them. Bones and eyeballs. Not eyeballs. Okay, leaves. you remember what you want or remember what I saw. <laughs> no, that's getting a little carried away. With these leaves floating in them. This is so serious. And then this old guy with long gray hair. Like, it looks like really sketchy, a really sketchy no? person. Okay. So we're sitting there, and they're speaking in Spanish, and we're, I'm over there like, what is going on? And so he comes over, I see them pour something, and I was like, oh my gosh. And so he hands me a jar about this big, and he's like, you drink this. I was like, oh no, thank you. And so I was trying to be polite, and so we probably stood there for about five minutes, me saying, no, no, like, I'm good, I threw up already, I'm good. And he's like, yes, yes. And so fast forward a little bit, we found out we were so high up in the jungle that um, their leaves ended up being their medicine. So, but we didn't know that at the time, and I ended up caving because I was like, you know what, I like some culture, why not? Okay, so I drank it, and I ended up feeling better afterwards, and I will not say what was in that glass, but if you want to know, you can come and it ask me, culture. but... It was culture, yeah. it was in the glass. I just remember, like, as funny as that story was, that was probably one of the scariest moments that we've had, and it's it's really funny now, but I really remember, man, God, I hope you're seeing us, and that's just a story that we love to share. So, before we get into the good stuff... Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much just for every family who's in here this morning, God, for the kids, for the adults, for all the teenagers, Lord, and I'm so thankful for this series, God, that we get to dig into who you are, God, and go over all the names and all the aspects of you, Jesus, and I pray that um, every person leaving here this morning, God, can know that you are a God who sees them, Lord, even when they feel so low, that you care enough about them to see them, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, we are kicking off this story about a man named Ishmael. But we're going to rewind a little bit to before he was born. We're going to talk about Genesis chapter 16. Now, I'm not going to read it all to you. I'm going to summarize, and I'm going to give you the story, and we're going to start off there. And it's a really cool story of God seeing us. So basically, here's what happens. There's this man named Abram. And he wants to have kids. And he has a wife named Sarai. And I'm going to assume I'm pronouncing her name right. And if not, forgive me. So Abram and Sarai, they want to have kids. And they cannot have kids. Now, Abram at this point is about 85 years old. So naturally, he blames his wife for not being able to have kids. 85-year-old <laughs> man. <laughs> must not be me. So they decide that since they can't have kids after trying for like 60 years, that the next logical solution is to get a surrogate. In this case, it was Sarai's servant, Hagar. So Sarai says, well, honey, since I can't give you babies, why don't you marry my servant and then see how that works out? And Abram, being a man, said, all right. So he marries the servant, and she gets pregnant, so I, I guess it wasn't him. So she gets pregnant, and then she starts treating his other wife, his original wife, her master, she starts treating her poorly. So Hagar gets pregnant with Abram's child, starts treating his original wife, Sarai, 
horribly. So Sarai goes to Abram, and she's like, seriously, I can't take this. My servant is treating me horribly. And Abram's like, whoa, 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 I don't want to get involved in this. She is your servant. You need to deal with this. You need to make her submit to you because you are her master. So Sarai starts treating Hagar horribly. And I can only see that this is not a good situation. I can't imagine. So you've got this pregnant woman and this other woman who's the wife and multiple wives. And one's pregnant. There's a lot of hormones going on. And it doesn't seem like a good situation. So they're at each other's throats. Well, Hagar gets to a point where she's being treated so poorly that she runs away. And she's running away. And this brings us to verse 7. And it says, Now the angel of the Lord found her. And this is so cool because this is a great picture of our compassionate God. She's been treated horribly. She's been used. And now God is concerned with the well-being of this woman, this poor, confused servant girl who's been abused. The Lord sees her. I love that story. I love getting to know this story. So today dwindles down to two points. Um, the moment that God saw Hagar and the moment that she sees God. And I think it's so cool. So I'm talking about God sees you. God saw Hagar, someone who was literally solely used for sex. She was a servant. Nobody wanted her. And God sought after her. I love that God is a seeking God and just remembering, you know what? No matter how low you feel on the totem pole, that God seeks after you. Hagar could flee from the presence of Sarai, but she couldn't flee from the presence of God. And some people, I think, here today, they're running from difficult circumstances, but you cannot hide from the God who put you in them in the first place. As I'm reading um, chapter 16, verse 8, I read this, and I just kind of had to laugh. The angel said to her, and I want to pause, so that isn't, it's not just an angel. It's not just a random angel. This is the angel. This is God finding her and God talking to her. The angel says, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you came from and where are you going? And I had to pause in that moment and just chuckle. God already knows where she came from. He already knows where she's going. And I just think, you know what, man, if God asks you a question, he already knows the answer. He's wanting you to think about it. And so that's something that I just found um, kind of funny. So I want to focus just for a second on those two questions. Where have you came from? Ask yourself that. In Hagar's case, she was running when she should have been obedient. That was where God has called her, had called her to be. And I know it's hard because you're thinking, okay, she was misused, she was mistreated, but God wanted her to be obedient in that moment. And I feel like so many people aren't being obedient in the calling that God has on their life. So they're just running away because it might be difficult. Something might come up. It might be hard. You might think, man, God doesn't understand what I'm feeling. He doesn't see me crying. Uh, if nobody else could see how I'm feeling, how could God understand what I'm, what I'm feeling? Well, maybe you weren't being obedient and realizing that God put you in that, in that purpose and in that season in the first place. And maybe you're not running from any certain situation. Maybe what you're running from is hurt. And I just want to speak on that for a second because I, I mean, everyone has some, some stuff in their life, but recently I've had probably the most hurt um, that I have ever felt. And I remember 
in that moment just feeling like, man, nobody sees my hurt. I wanted to just be alone. Um, so if nobody could see it, I couldn't explain it, and I felt like nobody understood it. So why would I talk to God about it? Uh, a few months ago, I had one of my best friends pass away, and it was my grandma. And I feel like I'm able to tell this story now because I've came through the other side. She was someone who, and my dad's here today. <laughs> she was someone who was amazing. She loved Jesus. She was my best friend. I was there four days at her house before she passed away. And I think that's such a God moment because God cares about all the details. And we were there and I will never forget that day getting the phone call from my dad and driving to the hospital and just that gut wrench feeling. Um, and so as we're driving, we get the news, you know, you better hurry. I don't know if she's going to make it. We get to the hospital and I will never, now I can never forget the look on her face and just how different she was. She wasn't the woman that I knew and I knew that she was hurting. And I remember that day all of us were sitting around and I got to play, um, some awesome worship songs, and I remember she had a tear came down, coming down her cheek, knowing that she could hear me. I think that was such a beautiful thing, but we sat there, and I remember at first being frustrated and saying, God, I want you to see me. I want you to see her. Do you see her? She's so broken, and I want you to save her, and having so much heartache, having to watch her take her last breath on earth and her first breath into eternity, and wondering, God, why didn't you save her? Um, you are more than capable. And I think that I had that heartache. And I just remember feeling, man, you know what? God knows every hair on my head, and he sees every tear that we cry. And I had that perfect image. When I came home that night, I'll never forget this. I don't even know if I've told my sister this, but we came home, and I my eyes were puffy probably for that whole week. And uh, I sat on my mom's stool and I was crying. And my niece Riley, she's four years old, she sat on my lap and she got a tissue. And I didn't say a word to her. She got a tissue and she put it around her cute little finger, her cute little four-year-old finger. And she was wiping all my tears. And she kept saying, oh, there's a tear. Oh, there's a tear. And it was really cute. And then she ended up like sticking her finger in my eye socket and just like drilling it in. But that's the image that I had. She caught my tears before they even fell. And I remember just thinking, man, that is Jesus. He catches our tears before they even fall. He clearly cares about your hurt. He sees your hurt. Because I remember the days when I was lying on the floor wanting just somebody to understand my pain and when nobody understood it. And I think it took me a while to, to really comprehend that God saw me in that moment. God saw me in that hurt. So, let's go back to the other question. Where are you coming from? I wrote this down the other day, and I want to read it word for word, because I think it's, I think it's something that a lot of people need to hear in this room. Some people never grow in their relationship with Jesus, because they have a habit of running from one difficult situation to the next, where maybe God has put you in them for training. They had problems with their parents as teenagers, so they rebelled. They got a job and had problems, so they quit. They get married and have conflict, so they walk away from it. They seek counseling, which is good, but they don't like what the counselor says. They find another counselor who they think will agree with them. 
they join a church, but they can't get along with people, or maybe they don't like something in the church, so they go to another church, and they figure out that that church has the same problems and is filled with the same people. Why? Because people run away from their difficult circumstances instead of being, being obedient to God in the first place. And here's the thing. With me in that moment with my grandma, when I felt so alone, whatever your situation is, maybe you, you're a single mom, maybe you're coming from hurt or a certain situation, and you feel like you just want to run away and not be obedient to God and not push through. That feeling is understandable, but I'm here to tell you that you should push through because there were so many days, if I'm being really honest, I did not want to wake up and even be on church on the Sunday morning, let alone wake up and be here early to help set up. But here's the thing, I did anyways, and that's not to make myself look good. That's to say that you have to, and I say this phrase a lot because I love it, but you have to put your stretchy pants on and jump kick Satan in the face because those are the moments that really develop your character. In those moments when maybe you feel like Hagar, you feel like you've been used or abused, and you feel just really crappy, you have to push through. And I can honestly say that if I wouldn't have pushed through in that moment, I probably wouldn't be here today. And I know it's only been a few months for me, but really being strong in those moments. So whatever your situation is that you feel like God doesn't see you, you are in it for a purpose. And I think that's really awesome. So the second question, where have you came from? Where are you going? Okay. I love this one. I'm just going to stand up. I can't even sit down anymore. Okay. So I had this image the other day. I thought, okay, where are you going? And I think that so many people, because of these certain situations, where's the focus on? The focus is on yourself, right? Because you have a crappy situation, so you pity yourself. You think, poor me. And sometimes... You might be in a crappy situation, and that's okay. It's okay to tell people and to talk about them. But when that becomes your focus, where do you look? You're looking at yourself. You're focusing on yourself, so you're looking down. And if you're looking down at yourself, you have no vision to the left of you, to the right of you, behind you, or in front of you. And what's in front of you is Jesus, but you're too focused on yourself that you can't even look up to see him in the first place. And that's what I think we need to remember where are we going? Where you're going could be awesome if you just take your eyes off of yourself and your own problems. And then I thought, man, where are we all going someday? Hopefully, we're all going to heaven. I know that's not the case, but here's the thing. Jesus sees everybody. He sees people who don't like him, who don't love him, who hate him. And the thing is, everybody, every single one of us is going to see Jesus someday. But whether you continue to see Jesus after that is up to you. We're all going to see Jesus, and we are all going to bow down to him. But that's your choice, the choice that you make on earth, whether you're going to see him for eternity. And I just thought, thinking of my grandma, um, I had something I wanted to read um, to you guys. It is, so I um, ended up doing the eulogy at my grandma's funeral. I'm not going to read you the whole thing because it was really crazy long. But I just wanted to read you this last part that I wrote. Um, Just thinking of her in that hospital bed and breathing life into eternity. And I just thought of that image, that question, where are you going? This is what it says. If I could leave saying anything, it's this. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus was her way, her truth, and now her life. 
she is with him, and I can only imagine the celebration she's having in heaven right now. Because you see, she's no longer having knee pain. She's no longer having kidney pain, bowel pain. She doesn't bruise easily. Her body isn't broken. She's not the woman that I saw in that hospital bed. Now she is made new, made whole, fully alive and well. And I know Jesus said, well done to her. Without Jesus, I don't know how else to get through this. So if you're hurting, pray to him. If we don't know him, seek him. And if you're doubting him, trust him. I love you, Grandma. So that's the image that I had of my grandma because she chose to love Jesus on this earth. Because she chose to see him. She was going to see him for the rest of eternity. And I think that's such a beautiful picture. So does God see us? You bet he does. So we know that God sees us, and that's such a beautiful picture. And, and that story of Taylor's grandmother is such a beautiful story of someone who sought out God and someone who saw God on a daily basis. And even in the end, when it seemed like God didn't see her, we know that God saw her, and now she is home with him, and she is seeing him face to face. Now, we know that God sees us, but I ask you, do you see God? One of the names that we use to describe how great he is is El Roy, the God who sees. But not only is God seeing us, we need to make sure that we're seeing God. Over the past few months, I felt like God was speaking to me, and he was asking me, do you see me? But he was asking it in a way that I never thought of before. He wasn't just saying, do you see my face? David, do you look for me and see me every day. He was asking, do you see me when you see my people? Do you see God when you see people? A couple of weeks ago, while at work, I was outside working on one of our vehicles, and I noticed a lady walking near our shop, and I kept an eye on her as the neighborhood I was working in is not the best neighborhood, and I didn't want my tools to walk off. So she's walking around, and I'm working outside, kind of working and keeping an eye on her, and and eventually she walks by and she passes, no harm, no foul. I go back to work and, and everything's fine. Well, a few minutes later, the same lady walks by again. And this time I'm like, okay, well, she passed once. Why is she walking by again? So I, I kept a closer eye on her and she's walking by and I'm over here working and she walks behind one of our vans and I look up and she's gone. And I'm like, well, where did she go? And so I'm thinking, okay, she's not leaving. She's staying behind there for some reason. So I decided to go look and see what she's doing, but instead of directly going to look, I kind of walk over in her shop and make it look like I'm doing something else, and I glance over, and I see her. And what I saw wasn't a lady trying to steal tools out of my van or deface our company's property, but I saw her sitting down. And in the midst of what I was doing, I was worried about my stuff. I was worried about the stuff I was working with. I was worried about my boss's property. And I walked around not to find her stealing anything, but she was taking a break. She simply wanted to pause and rest. I don't know how long she had been walking or where she was going to or where she was coming from, but here I am, a Christian, a Christ follower, someone who's called to love, someone who's called to put others first, someone who's called not to judge but to show mercy and grace. And my initial thought of this woman, this child of God, was a negative. It was judgmental. I didn't show her love in a time that I should have showed her love. 
and perhaps I should have offered her a kind word or something as simple as a smile, maybe even a drink, but I judged her because of where we were at and what I thought she might do. And I didn't show her the love that Jesus shows us constantly and calls us to show others. So I have a couple of verses I want to read that talk about this very thing, and I'd like you to read them with me. You don't have to read them out loud unless you feel so compelled you can. But uh, they'll be up on the screen, and I ask you if you can, if you have your Bible, open it and read them. And if you don't have your Bible, you just have your phone, keep your phone in your pocket and read it with me on the screen. I I'd like you to follow along because I know when I'm sitting out there and someone's up here preaching, when they start reading Scripture, I can just kind of check out. They'll start reading, and I'm like, okay, I'll follow along, and then I just get distracted. And if you can read along with me, you can let these words sink in. And I challenge you not to use your phone because phones are very easy to get distracted on. For this moment, just this one reading, I'd like you to read on the screen or read in your physical copy of the Word of God. So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 25 and start in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheeps from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer them and say, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. I was naked, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they, the goats, the ones on the left, they'll say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer to them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous, the sheep on the right hand, the ones who saw God for who he was, will go into eternal life. So what can we pick up out of this? God calls us to love one another, to serve one another, to put each other first, to see his face in everybody, not just the people we love. It's easy to love someone who loves you back. Anybody can do that. But the people who you don't know, the people who show you hate, the people who persecute you, the criminal organizations that kill hundreds of innocent people in Paris, we're called to love them. And that can really mess me up at times because when I hear those stories, 
it breaks my heart, and I think, God, how can I love someone who does that? Someone with so much evil in their heart. And Jesus calls us to love them because he died for them too. He died for my sins that I think aren't as bad, but God sees all sin the same, and he sees them and thinks, I love them, and I want them just as much as I want you. And in those times when we can't see God in them, God calls us to reach out to those people. How many opportunities have you missed to show love to people? How many opportunities have we missed to see God through the least of these, through God's people? When we think of seeing God, I know a lot of times when I do, more than not, we probably think of seeing God's face as this grandfather figure, this figure sitting on the throne, and you've got the hallelujah chorus singing in the background and the dry ice clouds floating on the ground, and God's righteous face and beautiful eyes and this big glorious beard and a white beautiful robe. And, and I think of seeing God like that, but when we talk about seeing God like Hagar saw God, we're not necessarily talking about that view of God. I'm talking about seeing God for who he is in our lives. The God who sees us when we're at our lowest. I know that a lot of people think showing up on Sundays is all we need to do to see God. And don't get me wrong, being here is great, and I applaud you for that. And if you brought your kids, I applaud you for that because raising your kids in the church is one of the best things you can do for them. But simply showing up here on Sundays, it's not enough. Showing up to church on Sundays and bringing your word of God isn't going to do it. Showing up and then tightly closing God's word the rest of the week, letting it sit on the shelf collecting dust, that's not enough. God has the power to see everything and know everything. And just as Mike talked about last week, he is all-powerful. There's nothing he cannot do. There's no place he isn't. There's nothing he doesn't know and nobody that he cannot see. And that's great. God is all those things, but we are not. We don't have that luxury. If we want to see God which I'm assuming all of us would say that we want to, we need to make sure we're making God a priority in our lives. We need to make sure that we're seeking him. We need to make sure that this book is not sitting on the shelves collecting dust tightly closed throughout the week. We need to make sure that we're looking to see God. Friends, I hope you hear this today. Elroy, the God who sees, the God who sees us, he not only wants to see us, but he wants us to see him. And it can be so easy to ignore that. It can be so easy to think that coming here on a Sunday is all that it takes to see God. And so easy to just check this off the box and say, I'm a Christian, I went to church, I heard a message, and come Tuesday I forgot most of it, but at least I was there. It cannot be enough. We need to see God, and we need to be seeking God in everything that we do. Yeah. So tagging off of what David said, that's something that I think has been in our hearts um, a lot lately. And so a few, well, probably about two weeks ago, um, we were writing this message and the word chair came. So I was thinking about that. I was like, man, what kind of chair? Like a dining room chair, um, a chair in our house, um, just thinking of all the chairs possible, really. And then I thought of this chair. 
the chair that you guys are sitting in right now. So kind of like what David is saying, but I have a question for you guys. I want to know what this chair means to you. So I sat here and I thought about it and man, does this chair, is this just a place that you come and you sit for 60 minutes on a Sunday and then you leave Sunday after church and you think that Monday through Saturday is just good and you don't have to do anything? Do you think this chair, sitting in this chair saves you? Because church 214 can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. So it's up to you guys to choose what this chair is. Is it a place where you come like David was talking about earlier? And I think this is a common thing that people come and they think, man, you know what? I showed up. I'm good. And that's a good thing that you showed up. But that's not enough. That's definitely not enough. It isn't a place that you sit on your phone while someone's preaching or you don't open your Bible or you don't let it soak in. I think this chair should be a place that propels us into our week. And I looked up the definition of propel and it is to launch forward. And I think that's so cool. This chair should be a place that launches you forward into your week. And then I think, okay, what is this chair mean to somebody else who doesn't love Jesus, who's not a Christian, who doesn't know him, what does this chair mean? This chair honestly freaks most people out because Christians, we are the most judgmental people out there, which is a harsh thing to say. We're too worried about arguing with each other, arguing with people on the same team about gay marriage, tattoos, women preaching. Don't even get me started on that one, okay? We're too busy arguing with people than focusing on getting people to come sit in this chair. And guess what? People see that. They don't want to show up because they see Christians arguing with one another. When really our goal shouldn't be trying to prove each other right and wrong. Our goal should be to love people because you know what? Those people that make those mistakes, Jesus loves them and he sees them and he wants them here. That's our job. And the last part that really gut wretches me is what is this chair mean to someone else who's not in this country? ISIS is a real thing, and I know we've been talking about it, but imagine, what does this chair mean to someone who they can't even, if I can get my papers out of the way, they're not even allowed to have one of these. Can you imagine what this, this spot would mean to them? What about the people that can't even mention the name of Jesus, because if they do, they're going to get thrown into prison? Or if they want to mention his name, they have to go into a tunnel underground. What about the, tw- the 12-year-old boy who got persecuted on a cross with his dad because he was a Christian. Because that's a real story. 12 years old. What about the boy that got washed up on shore because his family was trying to run away from ISIS? There are so many people who would literally die to be in this chair. They want to be where you're at. And I think, man, if we let this, not this specific chair, but just Jesus, but if we let this spot mean more to us on a Sunday morning and let it propel us then I think it's going to be easier to see God. And I thought of this verse, and most of us know it. It's actually on the front of my Bible, Psalm 23. And it says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. I think someone needs to hear that. God renews your strength. Whatever situation you're in, he sees you and he renews you. He guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. My favorite part, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. And I love that because it says, even though I walk through it. The Bible doesn't say that whatever situation you're in, 
whatever moment that you're letting yourself drag you down, that you don't have to stay there. You don't have to vacation in it, take a selfie in it, blog from it. God says that you get to walk through it. You walk through that valley, and you keep on going. And I love that. And you know, the Bible says that God is our shepherd, and we are his, we are his sheep, okay? So I started looking, and we have a picture, and I just thought, okay, sheep, why did God choose sheep? He could have picked any animal. God, you could have picked like a lion, a tiger, our dog. She's pretty cute. Like God could have picked any animal. Why did he pick a sheep? And it's because of this. He picked a sheep because sheep are the only animal that can't survive without their shepherd. We can't survive without Jesus. And he's our shepherd. That's a great illustration. We are his sheep. And some people can mistake being sheep as being weak. They see the sheep and think, well, we are sheep, so we're vulnerable. And hear me out, in and by ourselves, as sheep, we are vulnerable to the attacks of wolves. But here's the thing about the sheep that makes them strong. They stay together, and they're protected by a shepherd, someone who is trained to fight off the wolves, someone who would lay his life down to protect his flock. And some people see the sheep and think that they're weak, they're vulnerable to attack, that when there's a fight coming up against them that they can't defend themselves, but it's not true because our shepherd Jesus is here to protect us. And I heard a great illustration on this fight ring. So picture these sheep going into a fight ring or you going into a fight ring. And in a fight ring, if you get pinned down, you're fighting and you end up on the ground, the ref comes up and he starts counting. And when he gets to 10, you're out. So you're thinking these sheep, they're in this fight ring. Us, we're in this fight ring. And they start counting and they say, one, you're not a good father. Two, you had that abortion. How can you live with yourself? Three, you're judgmental. Four, you're a single mom and you'll never raise the kids that you're supposed to. Five, you cheat on your taxes. You turn in more time at work than you should. Six, you're a dad and you look at pornography on the internet and you cannot look at your wife the same way you cannot have the intimate relationship that God calls you to because you're not faithful. Seven, you're alone. God does not love you. Eight, you're getting closer to ten. Satan's ready to tap you out, and God doesn't care. Nine, you've just been laid off. Or you see that a layoff's around the corner. God's not going to provide for you anymore. Ten, the worst one. Ten is the number that we see and we know that we're out. Ten, the referee calls it, and you think that you're out because God doesn't see you. <laughs> The beautiful thing about Jesus is in this fight ring, that is Satan. He wants you to give up. And I've heard this, that people say God is the God of second chances. And yes, he is. But I would argue that God is the God of chances. Because when you think it stops at 10, Jesus says, 11, I do see you. 12, you are enough. 13, you are strong enough. 14, I have forgiven you for those mistakes that you made. And the good thing is that God will keep counting until you stand back up on your feet. You are strong enough and you are good enough. 
Father God, thank you that you are El Roy. God, thank you that you're the God who sees us. God, thank you for not condemning us, but for loving us and for showing us mercy. God, thank you that even though when we're about to strike out, we're about to hit 10, and the rest about to call it, and he's going to say that you lost, Satan is yelling at you saying that you're not good enough, no one loves you, that God doesn't see you. God, Elroy, thank you for seeing us. God, thank you for not giving up on us. God, thank you that you are our shepherd. And God, that even as sheep by ourselves, we are weak and we are not good enough. God, thank you that you are protecting us from the wolves. Thank you that the lies that come from the pit of hell, the lies of Satan saying that you're not good enough, God, that they are not true. Thank you for seeing us through. God, thank you for giving everything for us. Lord, thank you for just like the the story of Hagar, God, someone who was as low as it gets, who had been abused, who had been used, who thought that she was at the end of her life, that she had nowhere to go. God, that your angel came down and spoke to her, Lord, letting her know that, God, you see her. Thank you that just as you see her, God, you see us. Lord, I pray if there's somebody here today, God, who doesn't know what it's like to see your face, someone who maybe has never known that there is a God who sees them, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just speak to them, God. God, that you'd let them know that you, Elroy, the God who sees us, sent his son Jesus to die on a tree, to die a gruesome death, God, to take our sins on that cross, Lord, all of our mistakes, God, Take the punishment for that. Lord, thank you that because of that death that we can have life in you. Lord, I pray for anyone in here who wants that life, God, that you would just welcome them home with open arms, Lord. God, thank you that you see us. God, thank you that you see us. In Jesus' name.